This is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with a master of divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the Faith Debate Master of Ceremonies, oh, yeah. <laughs> Troy Skinner. Welcome to the show again. Thank you so much for listening each week that you are able to uh, make it here. I know sometimes Sunday mornings can be a little bit hectic. And if you're listening on podcasts, appreciate that as well. You can find the podcasts on the WFMD Facebook page. We typically link them there. And also you can find them at WFMD.com. Find the Faith Debate page. And there all the podcasts are, are linked. And also in the Audio Vault section of WFMD.com. And I post them on my personal social media. So if you want to find me, Troy Skinner, on Facebook, on Gab, on MeWe, on Parlor, I'm in all those places. And I'm also at a new website, householdoffaithinchrist.com. Householdoffaithinchrist.com. Dot com. So I teased this last week, and uh, we want to be good to our promise. So uh, we just recently wrapped up a pretty extended look at, uh, you know, quote-unquote, race relations in America. Now we're going to talk about, you know, what's going on inside the church. I mean, that's really where my heart is these days. What is going on inside the church? The the uh, remnant church really is uh, is what I have in mind and have in view. So let's uh, let's begin that conversation here. And, uh, you know, hopefully your heart will be pricked. And if you're part of the remnant church, you'll get busy being the church. You know what I'm saying? There are some aspects of, of the imagery and the language of what's going on that really sounds a striking note in our context. It, would seem, it seems like the world has lost its mind. And I've heard some people on social media and even in person who are wondering aloud, like, is this a judgment from God? Is God judging America? Is he judging the nations? Is he judging the church? Is he judging everybody? And we can't know the mind of God at some level. I would say yes. He's always, uh, he's always, he's always righteous and he's always uh, judging, uh, passing judgment for those that uh, are rejecting him. He turns them over to the hardness of their own heart. And those that are his, he, he judges in a way that is disciplining and drawing them back to himself. So in a sense, that's probably true. Are we in the, are we in the end times? We talked about the end times a few weeks ago during this Facebook Live session that we have. And the easy answer from an all-millennial view, which is my view of the end times, is yes, we're in the end times. We've been in the end times for 2,000 years. But are we in that acute moment? You know, there's the last days, and then there's the last day. And how close to the last day are we within the last days? Only God knows, and it's a fool's errand to try to guess, but it certainly does feel urgent and dramatic. And yet... Joel, we don't really know for sure when the book of Joel was written because we don't really know for sure when Joel the prophet lived. Most uh, would seem to agree that it was somewhere around 800 years before Christ uh, and about uh, 600 years after they entered the promised land. I'll give you some sense. So if something 2,800 years ago could be this dramatic, if it reminds me of Ecclesiastes, where there's nothing new under the sun. And what we have here is it, it's, it's speaking to what's going on in Judah at the time. So the, the, the people of God, 
which in our context, the people of God would be the church. The people of God, they had been ushered into the promised land 600 years or so earlier, and they became, well, almost immediately, became disobedient, recurringly disobedient, and God was patient. And finally, there were consequences to their ungodly behavior and choices over time. And so then Joel comes along with this prophetic word saying, hey, <laughs> this is going to be bad for you. You better repent. You better fast and pray and weep and mourn over your sinfulness or this really horrible stuff's going to happen. But then there's the word of hope in the middle of the book that indicates that God is a God who will relent from that judgment on his people if they would only turn to him. But then it returns back to some negative language because are the people really going to turn or not? And also that ending language that's really negative towards the end of Joel, it's talking primarily about the enemies mm -hmm. of God's people. And so this is talking about what's happening then. It's, I think we could apply that how it's happening to us now. But big picture, this is the historical arc of the Bible. We start in Eden. Eden is mentioned in the book of Joel. We start in Eden where everything is just the way it's supposed to be. Adam and Eve, they haven't sinned yet, but they have the ability to sin, and they do. And then, pardon the play on words, but all hell breaks loose. <laughs> and so we're living in a broken down world now as a result of that. And there's a picture of Eden that's provided with the promised land. That's a new Eden, and the people are ushered into that but they messed that up too. And so now Christ comes and he ushers in his kingdom, which is a, a precursor to the ultimate renewal and restoration of the new Edom, Eden, which will be the new uh, renewed heavens and earth. But of course the church is messing that up too. So God keeps giving his people good things and we are sinners and we keep screwing them up. And so it keeps pointing us back to the promises of God, the promises of God. Joel is hearkening to the promises of God here. And in the, throughout the, oh, the whole New Testament, when we read that, we're talking about the promises of God fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the promise of God. He is the fulfillment of all the promises in God. So everything rests in him. And so as a word of encouragement, could Jesus come back before I finish the next sentence? Yes, and there's a big part of me that hopes that that is what happens. Amen. But if he doesn't, we have this promise that the Lord does restore the years of the locusts eight. But it doesn't necessarily mean in the here and the now. And so if something really bad happens to a believer in Christ, when they're 30, it doesn't mean that by the time they're 50, everything's gonna not only be hunky-dory, but 10 times better, not necessarily. That promise that the years will be restored is about ultimate fulfillment. It can, sometimes God does work in a way where we feel that fulfillment and that promise in the here and now, but primarily what we're be, to be focused on, what we're to be having our energies uh, directed toward is what's to come. And to go about the business of doing kingdom work now so that people can see glimpses of what's to come, even in the here and now, in this ramshackle world that we live in. We have disorder all around us, and we have anger everywhere, and we have a lostness. And that shouldn't surprise us. It doesn't surprise me. I've been living in the same broken world forever, and so have you. Something that has been a surprise, however, 
<clears throat> and now we're transitioning into a main thing that I wanted to talk about today. Something that has surprised me is the response and reaction of the church. The church has lost its way historically. I mean, the church, you could argue, was here in Judah. Joel's talking to them. They had lost their way. So it's nothing new for God's people to lose their way. And in more recent centuries, we have uh, we had all sorts of church councils uh, in the hundreds of years following uh, the time of Christ on earth. And those, those councils were called together to put into effect some correctives because God's people had lost their way. And then there was the Reformation that took place. Um, you know, Martin Luther and John Calvin and all those guys. And that's because the church had lost its way and there needed to be a corrective. And the church has continued to lose its way. And what are called the mainline churches, the big denominations in the Protestant movement, you know, the, the big Lutheran denomination, the big Presbyterian denomination. And I say the big because there's a whole bunch of Presbyterian churches but there, uh, there's one big one and then a bunch of smaller denominations. There's one big Lutheran denomination and a bunch of smaller ones. So, you know, the Anglicans, the Episcopalians, the Methodists, these main, what they're called mainline, these big denominations, uh, they have lost their way in large measure. And so what we hung our hat on for most of my life was the evangelical movement, the, those who wanted to get back to the fundamentals. They were preaching the gospel. They were holding true to the inerrancy of scripture. They were... They were bold in proclaiming the truth of God. And now, that's changed. And that's a bit of a surprise. We've had some pretty high-profile evangelical leaders in America who have renounced the faith. They're not just teaching bad sermons and leading people astray by accident or mistake. They're now claiming that they're not Christians. They're renouncing the faith. It doesn't make sense to them. They, they've rejected it. And there's been a lot of them over the last 18 months or so. And there's a lot of them now still preaching, still leading churches. The party wonders that maybe they should renounce the faith because they're not preaching the gospel. The gospel is hard. The gospel is a stumbling block to God's people and is an, is an offense and foolishness to those who aren't God's people. So if you're not sharing God's word, God's truth, in a way that is kind of turning your world inside out and upside down, there's something wrong. We as a church, meaning the church, have gotten so comfortable with trying to follow after the marketing gimmicks of a Starbucks and a Panera Bread that we've lost the gospel. And we've made all these little miniature compromises along the way that maybe we didn't realize what we were doing, but now all those little compromises have added up to one gigantic compromise. We don't even know who we are anymore. The church is not about the style of music. The church is not about the color scheme of the walls of the church building. The church is not about the youth programs. The church is not about how good your drummer is. The church isn't about any of those things. The church is about Jesus Christ and the faithfulness of his bride. The church is about proclaiming the gospel faithfully and doing what the church is called to do as a church, which is to administer the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And as an extension of those two things, if it's doing those things well, 
preaching the gospel, administering the sacraments well, it's going to automatically have to exercise church discipline because you can't have good practice with the sacraments and you can't be faithful to proclaiming the truth if you don't exercise discipline to train up the people to follow after God and to hold people accountable. If you're a churchgoer, have you ever had somebody in leadership at your church pull you aside and challenge you for a sin in your life? Have they held you accountable? Have they helped you to walk through the challenge of overcoming that sin area in your life? I'm willing to bet that almost nobody who's hearing my voice right now has had that experience. Why not? How many attend a church where there's no what's called fencing the table for the Lord's Supper? Or it's explained what the Lord's Supper really represents and that those who aren't part of the family of God shouldn't participate because this is reserved for those who belong to Christ. And if you don't acknowledge at this stage in your life that you belong to Christ, then you need to abstain. It's more common to hear that, but I've been to too many churches where they don't do that either. And then baptism, the biblical model for baptism, when somebody comes to faith in Christ, it was like a rush to the river. If you're a believer, let's get you baptized. But now we put it off, we hold off, we, we wait, and we want to turn it into something like some sort of a pageant and make it about the person who's being baptized rather than the one who's doing the baptizing, the spirit. So the church is so inside out and upside down. I've, and if you've been listening to these Facebook posts that I've, or these uh, videos, these uh, live streams that we've been doing, it, it's not a secret to hear. It won't be surprising for you to hear me say uh, some of the things I've already said and the things I'm going to continue to say. The church has not done a particularly good job in handling the coronavirus. The church has not done a very good job in handling the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Um, the church has not done a very good job of helping people to discern difference between those who have Christ and those who don't. The church looks just like the world. And that's not new. Maybe that's part of what my awakening is. I'm realizing the church has been so derelict in its duty for so long. And I knew it was a problem, but I don't know that I realized how big the problem was until recently. The divorce rate among professing Christians is not really any different than the divorce rate as a whole. You can talk to Christians about any, any slew of social issues and their opinions are about the same as the opinions you would find in any poll taken of a broad swath of Americans. There's no difference. There should be a dramatic difference because Christ's call is a dramatic call. If you have a pastor that you watch online or that you, you know, is, is leading your church or that you like to read their books or you listen to them on the radio, and what they're talking about is you having a more fulfilled you and having a stronger marriage and better finances and being all that you can be and overcoming your obstacles and slaying your Goliath, whatever your Goliath in your life is and all that sort of stuff, then you are listening to, reading, paying attention to and being led by a pastor who is not preaching the gospel. Because that is not the gospel. The gospel is about laying down your life. Amen. It's about dying to self. It's about surrendering all, giving up everything. Be willing to 
physically die and become what we call today a martyr for the faith if necessary. We are called to a total reversal of focus because our focus as sinful people is on ourselves. And so if you're hearing messages preached to you and taught to you that are about yourself, you're not hearing the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you in spite of yourself. And you are to lay down everything for that. And then if God chooses to give you some of that back, that's up to him. But we shouldn't necessarily expect it. We can pray for it. We can wish for it. We can like it when it happens. But if we're not living sacrificial lives, then we're not living Christian lives. And we have too many pastors that aren't calling us to sacrificial lives merely her testimony it's what the bible teaches it's hard and every day you have to be reminded paul tells us in the new testament that we are to die to christ daily it's a daily thing and it's hard we're promised that it will be hard in fact and the promise isn't even like a threat it's it's almost it's a glorious promise like you have a chance to share in the sufferings of christ you have a chance to identify with your lord and savior in a way that is unique when you suffer and so we need to embrace it while we grin and bear it kind of thing but because it's hard we need to come together as believers and hold each other accountable how do you do that outside one another and how do you encourage outside of fellowship and we're not fellowshipping as the church right now and what we're doing right now is an example of that so many people are doing church virtually now this isn't technically hasn't been a church what we're doing this is a supplement however I think that that's about to change if anyone would like to join in with us. You have to be within driving distance for it to make sense. (laughs) But I think that um, what I'm feeling a need for our community to have is to have intimate, direct fellowship and for a church to hold itself accountable and to have ordained leadership uh, at the head. And as it turns out, I'm ordained, and I've been in leadership in, the, in a variety of contexts in the church over the years. I've been a pastor. Well, if you count an elder as a pastor, and there's a biblical argument for that, I've been a pastor at three different churches over the years. And so I'm, I guess what I'm saying is Household of Faith in Christ might be the fourth church uh, where I will be pastor. So if you live near here, and you know some other people who, where I live in Frederick, and you know some other people that are pining for coming together in fellowship, for holding each other accountable, doing life together, living life together, holding each other to the fire, iron sharpening iron, with unapologetic uh, embracing of the truth and preaching that is gospel-oriented, then private message me on on Facebook if you want, or if you have my phone number, you can call me, and uh, we'll talk about the details. But the idea is that we would have a gathering in our home on Sundays in the afternoon before we do our Facebook Live thing. And if enough people are interested, maybe we'll have a meal together. We can break bread. We can actually turn that meal uh, into a Lord's Supper uh, celebration and remembrance. And we can have a time of prayer and a time of accountability and sharing and uh, uh, a time of, of, of friendship and brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ that's, that's deeply rooted and growing from those deep roots. 
And then at 6 o'clock, we would go to Facebook Live, and that's where we would have the message. So if you don't live near Frederick, we'll still be doing this, but you would be hearing mm -hmm. then the sermon. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like this idea of us mm -hmm. opening with some sort of a message. Today's message was directly from the Word of God, can't get better than that. And then having a dialogue about it. So uh, I'm thinking that next week at 6 o'clock, we'll have a sermon. I'm not entirely sure exactly what the sermon will be, but I'm leaning towards uh, focusing on doing a sermon series on First uh, John. So if you want to get ready for that, maybe you could read the first chapter of First John. Well, First John is pretty short. You could read all of First John, for that matter. But I'm thinking we might do that beginning next week. And after I'm done sharing God's Word with you, then we will have a discussion, whoever happens to be here in this room, and, and you via comments in the comments section. So that's kind of where I think we're going. And I hedge my bets only because I want to be obedient on this. And if between now and next week, I feel uh, what, uh, what strikes me as a clear impression or clear word from God to do something different, uh, I want to be nimble enough to shift. But I'm feeling like the direction is that that's what we should be doing right now. And so uh, until I say otherwise, I guess that's what we should plan for for next week. A word of encouragement or a charge, really, to you. If you belong to a church where you actually have a faithful man of God who's preaching the gospel, standing for the truth, holding people accountable, making disciples for Christ, then you need to support him with prayer and encouragement. You need to don't assume that he knows he's doing a great job and that you recognize it. Go and tell him that you appreciate what he's doing and how God is using him for good. And you need to be willing to come under submission of his leadership and headship for your local church. That's a real problem. There are too many people that are church hopping and church shopping because, oh, I don't like the way that person sings in the choir, so I'm going to leave that church and go find another one. Or I, I like the flavor of coffee at this other church better than that one. Or sometimes it's, you know, I, I don't like that the pastor's, you know, always making it about Jesus. As crazy as it sounds, people have that kind of attitude. So many people, they don't, they don't want a pastor. God's people are sheep. They need an under-shepherd. Christ is the shepherd. The pastors are the under-shepherd. And those sheep need an under-shepherd to help to guide them and protect them. And the sheep, too many of them don't want it. And I hope it does. I'm sure if you're watching this, it doesn't describe you. But I'll bet you it describes some other people that you know. And your pastor's dealing with them. And sometimes your pastor's dealing with them and they're the majority or they're the power brokers. They're the ones that are calling the shot in the church, believe it or not. We have a lot of, a lot of churches that fit the profile of what's described in the book of Revelation and the churches that were failing. You know, and what uh, John even calls synagogues of Satan. There are a lot of really bad churches that are led by good pastors, but the pastors are up against it, and they need people like you who are faithful, who will pray for them and encourage them and help him in the fight to root out those enemies of the gospel, to take back God's church from the wolves in sheep's clothing. So if you've got a good pastor, let make sure he knows that you recognize that he's a good pastor and that you love him and appreciate him for it. House, 
we don't need a lot of money. We already have a house, so we don't need to pay rent or anything. Praise the Lord. Right? And if we're small in number, then we don't have to worry about all the, the extra overhead expenses that churches can have. Yeah. So that can be good. Yeah, especially with the economy. And, you know, the other thing is, and I'm, I'm, uh, once we get some people to come together, if, they, if people should decide to do so and we can talk about it, we'll think through the financial part of it. But i got to tell you, my inclination right now, my leaning, is to not... Uh, become formally recognized as a church by the government ever which will mean that contributions that we as a church uh however we manage any sort of financial things that the church is involved with wouldn't be couldn't be written off when you do your taxes might not matter as much now because they've got the standard deductions right and most people don't out tithe the i think it's like 20 something thousand dollars standard deduction most people aren't out tithing that so um but anyway, I, I feel like it might be good for us to be off the radar as far as that goes and be fully independent and not fall prey to the charge of, oh, well, you're just doing that because you're afraid of losing your tax-exempt status. And our quick response could be, what tax-exempt status? We don't have one. It might give us a lot of freedom, and it might, a lot, might, a lot, might allow us to do some things in faithfulness more readily and easily and not be so tempted to compromise. Hopefully we can give in to those temptations, but why bring in the temptation? It's so easy, as we're seeing right now happening in the world around us, it's so easy to give in to the temptation. And so why put ourselves there? And that's going to wrap on this week's show. Thanks so much for listening to The Faith Debate. Find us online, wfmd.com, keyword faith, or just find the drop-down tab menu for the, the shows and, and go there that way. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find me on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parlor, and also at householdoffaithinchrist.com. We'll be back next week, 9 o'clock Sunday morning till 9.30 Sunday morning. So we'll start up again about 167 and a half hours from right now. Until then, thanks for listening. God bless. God bless.